The canon in the colony looks at the way in which historical readers from the colonial world dealt with texts that we now consider to be canonical. Hello and welcome to The Common Room, a series of conversations between members of the Yale English Department where we drop into each other's virtual offices and find out more about one another's work and interests. I'm Steph Newell. Today we're talking to Priyasha Mukhopadhyay, who is an assistant professor here in the English Department and whose research focuses on the literary history of the colonial world, primarily South Asia in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Priyasha's work looks at reading practices in this period, especially practices that challenge our notions of what it means to read and who is a reader. Well, welcome, Priyasha. Can you tell me a little bit about your background? Of course, I um, grew up in Calcutta and I moved to Delhi subsequently to join university where I worked my way through different English degrees of varying difficulties and levels. And like adolescent girls of a certain generation, I decided I would be writing a dissertation on Virginia Woolf. Well, that idea crumbled ultimately. And when I arrived at Oxford to do my PhD, I had decided that I would in fact be working on colonial literature and specifically thinking about the relationship between narrative and colonial infrastructure. So things like the Indian Railways Project. And so while I was in my early months trudging through pages and pages of not necessarily very interesting archival material and literature looking for references to trains. I found in a story by Rudyard Kipling a reference to something called Wolfsley's Pocketbook. This was a story about soldiers, so I figured it had to do with something that was military related, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. But then I began to notice that this book was popping up in many Kipling stories. And then I ultimately discovered that this was, in fact, a colonial war manual written by a general called Garnet Wolfsley, of whom there is a statue in London till this day, called A Soldier's Pocket Book for Field Service, which he published in 1869. And one of the things that was evident in Kipling's stories, but also in other works written about Wolseley's Pocket Book, was that everybody really hated it. And people kept on talking about it only to remind us that people shouldn't be reading it or that they weren't reading it at all. And it was sort of fascinating to think about the amount of discourse and hate that had been generated around a document that soldiers perhaps didn't read or just carried in their pockets or didn't necessarily think about as much on a daily basis. So ultimately, I wrote a PhD dissertation on the way in which functional documents like Wolseley's pocketbook shaped imperial subjects' ideas of what it meant to be part of the British Empire at the end of the 19th century. And I've continued to do that work since as a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard and now at Yale. I wonder if you could perhaps connect that with your current book project where you focus on reading practices that challenge our notions of what it means to read. Every single colonial novel I read was essentially chock full of references to functional documents, licenses or bureaucratic forms, petitions, almanacs, so things like that. And I started thinking about the way in which these documents were both integral to the function of empire at some level, but on the other hand, that people often really resented the entry of these documents into their lives. And through the book, I tried to sort of think about the way in which 
functional documents and literary texts are sort of in dialogue with each other in the 19th century, thinking about literature almost as a kind of backlash to the regime of the functional document. So I'm really interested in those cross-current relationships that develop in this period. One of the great things of teaching at Yale is having access to these extraordinary resources that I've been able to build entire courses around. So a course that might be of particular interest to this line of thought is um, a course I call The Canon in the Colony, which essentially traces the history of English literature outside of America and Britain. And of course, people who study post-colonial studies know that the idea of English literature as a discipline was essentially a colonial idea. And the work of someone like Gauri Vishwanathan has been so central in reminding us of this fact. And so the canon in the colony essentially looks at the way in which historical readers from various parts of the colonial world dealt with texts that we now consider to be canonical. Like in what context did they encounter Milton or Wordsworth or Spencer. And so we sort of look at a variety of literary texts in which characters and novels discuss their responses to these books. So we look at Satyanathan's autobiographical novel, Saguna, which was written in the 1880s, in which she talks about a young girl learning to understand Milton or being confused by Spencer's The Fairy Queen. And alongside that, we go into the library and actually look at some of the more nuts and bolts documents that made this kind of reading possible. We look at things like library catalogues from the 19th century. A more post-colonial context, we've looked at the censorship report that came out of the censor's reading of J.M. Kadzi's Waiting for the Barbarians, and students have a fun time sort of deciphering the handwriting of the very messy censor in that particular report. I was really excited last year when we went to take a look at a series of books from what was called the Macmillan Colonial Library series, which were canonical British books produced for primarily an Indian market. And one of the students, when she was just flipping through the book, found what appeared to be a random shopping list inside it, detailing that eggs and you know, various cleaning products needed to be bought. And it was sort of unclear how this note had shown up in this book. So it's those kinds of serendipitous finds that I think are also really exciting for students and definitely for myself as well. Do you have a favourite piece of writing or music or art? Can you tell us what it is and why it's your favourite? Definitely my favourite musical experience, if we want to put it that way, was in Oxford several years ago on a Thursday night when I heard Shlomo Mintz play Mendelssohn's Violin Concerto in E minor to a nearly empty hall. And it was kind of an ethereal experience because he's obviously an incredibly famous and talented violinist. And the sort of beauty of the music against what should have been a much more crowded hall, but Thursday nights in a university town, there weren't that many people. And it sort of felt like I was part of something that other people who weren't there were missing out on, which was extraordinary. And I've tried time and again to recreate that experience by listening to Mintz's recordings of the concerto. And while they're fabulous, they don't quite have the same ring to them as the live performance. 
I'm also very fond of a lot of classic rock, which sort of dates me and my Calcutta upbringing. But The Who's Tommy, the rock opera album, has always been a piece of music that I love. And I think when I heard it for the first time when I was 14 or 15 years old, it felt incredibly profound in terms of the things it said about vision and and life and death and cults and all these things in a way that I felt like very few other pieces of music were able to. Well, thank you, Priyasha, for coming on the show and thank you for listening to The Common Room. Our producer is Robert Scaramuccia, class of 19, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. You also heard Listening to You from the Who's rock opera album Tommy and Mendelssohn's Violin Concerto in E minor, Opus 64, with Shlomo Mintz on the violin. Mm-hmm.